because before it was okay I cook because there is a lot of ego in me and you know I want to be the best chef and blah, blah, blah. but then seeing the food can be used to do other stuff helping people it was like just really life-changing Today on Dirty Linen, we are chatting to a new restaurateur in Melbourne, somebody who is doing something interesting and fun, and of course, dealing with rolling lockdowns and all the challenges that that brings. His name is Paolo Arlotta, and his restaurant is in Fitzroy, and it is Rizzo Diner. Paolo, welcome. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me today. It's a a pleasure to finally chat, and um, yeah. It's really great to chat. And I just want to let the listeners know that you are on Dirty Linen by listener request. So somebody got in touch with me and said, hey, I really want to know the story behind Rizzo Diner. They seem like really great guys and doing something really interesting. So I want to know more. And I thought, well, now I want to know more as well. So I reached out to you and got in touch. So I just want to uh, put the word out that if anybody's wondering about uh, anybody's story, well, let me be that community service and I'll bring their story to you. Um, so, Paolo, you opened Rizzo in our long lockdown last year. Um, tell me how all that came about. Uh, yeah, there was a bit of a, of a journey. So, uh, the restaurant that was here at Rizzo was uh, called Youngblood. I think it was a, like a, a cafe that was open on the weekend. And um, I used to run pop-up dinners here. So I, before opening the restaurant, I was like a freelance chef. And I was running this event called uh, The Beaver's Nights. So I was trying to promote vegetarian food um, throughout like different venues. And Youngbloods was one of those venues. And then uh, when the first lockdown happened, um, the place was pl- uh, put on lease. And, you know, I, I, sit, I had all my equipment in the back, all my pots, my thermomix and all the stuff um, that I was using for the pop-ups. And, um, I've, you know, like when the first lockdown happened, we didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was total uncertainty. So um, I thought, you know, to just just get on, on the lease and try to go with the flow since I knew the, the landlords and the owners and they've been pretty supportive with me. Um, yeah, and I, I jump on the on this journey, this crazy journey, and I open my first restaurant, which was never on my plans. To, if I to be honest with you, like uh, my freelance career was going pretty well uh, before lockdown, and um, a restaurant wasn't in in any of my near plans. So uh, yeah, it just happened to to be, and I'm so grateful uh, that that happened. I mean. It's still said the lockdown happened and all this stuff, but you know, for me it was like a, a great opportunity. I have to be honest. Uh, uh, yeah, that's so interesting, Paolo, because you know, in a lot of ways, being that freelancer and being really nimble and able to do pop ups and be really flexible to you know not have those sunk costs in a venue is actually really much more practical for a pandemic but instead you've tied yourself to a venue and and all those ongoing costs uh, but you still sound really happy about it yeah like it's been don't get me like wrong it's been very challenging like both because of lockdown both because it was my first experience as a as a restaurant owner like i knew nothing about marketing accounting and you know having a team uh, so it was challenging you know and you know, after f- four, three years of freelancing, this, which meant I was working basically when I wanted to work, as you as you mentioned, like the the, the 
the money was pretty good because you know there are no fixed costs in running a cooking class or running like uh, a pop-up dinner um it's been challenging but you know like i firmly believe that without challenges the, there is no growth and still you know like i'm so proud of me and the team here of what we've done like and the growth has been exponential even if it was challenging uh, so I'm still quite grateful for the opportunity, the, all the lessons that um, I encounter in these first eight months. And whatever whatever is going to happen with the restaurant, to be honest, I'm already satisfied. Like for me, it's been already like great. And um, this is how I see life anyway in, in general. And uh, I, I can apply this to my work, which I still love after all these years. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love to learn a bit more about the vegetarian focus. So you you said you were doing your herbivorous nights, these um, vegetarian a vegetarian dinner series before you launched the restaurant, and you also continued with some of those nights early in the restaurant's life. Um, and there's also seems to be a bit of a eco focus, like with you know sus- making sure you're using sustainable packaging and um, yeah, just thinking thinking about you know, the earth and everything that you do. T- tell us about that whole side of things. So the vegetarian dinners um, started in 2013, I think. Like, um, where was the first one? Oh, my God, it was so long time ago. Oh, with Jesse. So Jesse Gurner, you remember when Jesse Gurner was running the uh, Molecular Mondays at, at the Aylesbury, which is now Bomba? Uh, so I think after that, uh, he wanted to, you know, promote vegetarian food and he started doing these vegetarian Mondays and that was my first, uh, kind of pop-up dinner. I think we did three or four. And, um, at the time I already left Vudemont and I was working at Kimfall Cafe in, in the city, which was a big change of lifestyle and, and work, um, which allowed me to focus more on myself as, you know, and getting into sports and all the jazz that comes with the cafe, uh, lifestyle as a chef. Um, the dinners then eventually moved a Kimfall Cafe uh, under the name as Speak As You Eat. So I ran those, uh, those dinners for a couple of years. And then when I finished uh, Kimfolk, the dinner um, became the Herbivorous Nights, which uh, were first hosted um, at a place in Brunswick called Host, uh, which is now closed. And then moved a little bit around, grain store, siblings, and then finally I found this place called Youngbloods, um, which, which is where uh, Rizzo is now. And then um, the dinners were, of course, a way for for me to be create, express my creativity and have fun because pop-up and collaborations are always a lot of fun. Um, but also was a way for me to promote vegetarian food because uh, I'm vegetarian myself since uh, 2009. And um, I always struggled to find, you know, like uh, refined food in terms of when it comes to vegetarian food. I always felt like... At least back in the days, now things are changing. Like vegetarian food was really treated like, okay, let's slice some veggies very thin and put a salad dressing and that's it. Um, so it was a way for me to, you know, show people that vegetarian food can be interesting, can be good for the palate, can be delicious and and can, you know, substitute meat uh, in some ways. Um, but, you know, my philosophy around vegetarian food is that I don't want people to not eat meat uh, at all. I just believe that you know, 
sometimes can be substitute. You know, vegetarian food can be delicious, and uh, if we can limit the amount of meat that we eat, uh, if it's not seven days a week, but it's five. Um, those two days, they don't have to be a chore. They can be uh, still enjoyed with some delicious vegetarian food. And I always say that the problem with veggies is that people really don't know what to do when they come. Oh, my God, I have an eggplant here. What am I going to do? You know, um, but it's simply because it has not been spread uh, enough the way we cook veggies. But as I was saying before, the things are changing. So I think there is a lot more effort even in in fine dining look at 11 madison park that turned completely vegan uh, a few months ago uh, so things are slowly changing people are a bit more conscious uh, in the way um, especially in the hospitality industry i think and this is why it's important for me to run a restaurant as sustainably as i can so what else do you do um along sustainable lines so well f- first i'd like to underline like something is very important for me is that you know like changes in general happens when a lot of people make small changes rather than one person making a lot of changes so like when like 100% sustainable restaurants happen is great but also I think it's very important that a lot of restaurants will make minor changes. Um, so I think this, the scale of change is bigger when it happens like that. Uh, when it comes to Rezo, we put a lot of effort in the way we um, recycle stuff. So uh, we partner up with a company called Be Alternative, which um, help us um, making sure that all our recycling um, wastage get actually recycled. There are uh, some underlying issues in the way um, rubbish is um, is disp- dispatched in Australia. Uh, I, I mean, in Victoria, I don't know, in outside Victoria. Um, so this company makes sure that when we, for example, the glass when it's picked up actually is um, is recycled because it doesn't happen all the time. I don't want to, um, and it's in front of our eyes. If you see, even in our houses, when the truck picks up our recycle and our landfill, they go exactly in the same bin and um, in the same truck. And then everything gets thrown in landfill. And I think it's very, like, very, very bad. Well, uh, sometimes that happens. Yeah. And th- this company actually, like, they are so driven that they actually follow the trucks. So, like, they make sure, like, it, it, it gets recycled properly. So this is wow. uh, this is one of our first um, most important things because of course restaurants they produce a, a lot of wastage and also uh, we try to actually produce as less wastage as possible so like we always opt for you know um, food and stuff that has no much plastic um, all our veggies are delivered like in in crates and then are um, given back to the veg suppliers and uh, also we try to use everything from the vegetables like all the skins and all the stuff gets used for stock we do a lot of fermentation like dehydration and we try to use uh, everything that we can Um, also um, sometimes um, we import stuff especially when it comes to rice so the restaurant is called Rizzo because as a ode to the rice, which is um, um, very much a thing that is growing in my in my hometown. I come from the northwest of Italy in Piemonte, and 
my small town is a very very boring small town this is why i left um there are rice fields everywhere and it's like uh, hot and humid summers cold and foggy winters you know seven thousand people a lot of gossiping <laughs> nothing exciting i love my own town but you know uh, what's make... the name of your town my hometown is called crescentino and is the the biggest uh, city next to it, it would be turin beautiful beautiful city and of course we're oh my god i love that part of italy so much yeah but... I'm, I'm sorry it's so boring and there's so much gossip but oh my goodness <laughs> to visit it's just so torino is so beautiful and i just love that countryside and i love the food i love the little villages oh i wish you could just take me there just for a day mm, yeah I, I miss home especially now it's been a while since um yeah but as i was saying we we make great uh, carnaroli rice also other varieties uh, we're quite big on, on risottos there and um you know reason which means rice but also laughter is a homage to me uh, for, to my hometown and um, so we import rice. Uh, we import uh, rice that is produced actually uh, 600 meters from my parents' house, like a quite innovative, um, great company, um, because there are no alternatives in Australia. So I believe that when there is no alternative, um, you know, maybe there are ways uh, to uh, be sustainable, even if we're importing. So. Through B Alternative, we partner up with a, a rescue rainforest in the Daintree. Um, so every time we import this, this rice, this company calculates how many CO2 emissions we produce. And then um, we plant trees, we donate and plant trees in the, in the Daintree um, to equalize the CO2 emissions. So uh, we don't have impact on the, on the system. And that's pretty, wow. that's pretty much. Wow, so thoughtful. Yeah, so that's one of the only ingredients that we import. All the rest is, is quite local, uh, Vic Victorian, sometimes, of course, outside Victoria. But, you know, like, as I was saying before, if there is a small, uh, thoughtful actions like this in each restaurant in Melbourne, the, the scale of change will be, uh, like, quite big. Um, so I, I hope, you know, we can inspire other restaurants uh, in doing so. And, in fact, I have a lot of friends that are now interested in the, the way we mm, we treat our rubbish. They want to join the, uh, the rainforest rescue project as well. So I think like it's amazing that you know you know community is, is quite strong uh, when it gets together and you know, share such a vision. So yeah. Have you got? I mean, how have you found the the independent restaurateur community? In Melbourne, you know, as you've as you've opened up your own place, do you find it very collaborative and collegial, especially through these difficult times? Yes, yes. I especially, you know, like um, I, I worked at Tipo, for example, for a while, um, and I'm in pretty good, good um, relationship with them. They've been very supportive. Uh, another friend that owns a restaurant in Richmond has been like super supportive with. You know, accounting tips, and because I, I was totally a newbie, and I opened the place on, on my own uh, with no knowledge. And of course, the only way I could learn all these things was through uh, the experience of uh, other restaurant owners. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Like like they've been very supportive. Even the landlords here have been like uh, quite incredible. You know, like um, they. 
they design a lease uh, with you know COVID um, restrictions, help, and all the stuff. So it's, I, I feel pretty lucky. Also, when we open, we had a lot of friends, you know, donating their time and their knowledge. Like I don't know, just for example, like helping me creating cocktails and do some free training was. I feel very blessed, uh, you know, and I feel like without all this help, this uh, wouldn't be possible. That's great. Is there something about, you know, what, you know, some back, some behind the scenes aspect of owning a restaurant that has really surprised you? You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe there's this, this goes, this works like this, or I can't believe this thing costs so much. I can't believe this thing is such a hassle. Well, yeah, like in terms of costing, I'm still quite shocked when uh, electricity bills come and this this something i didn't know even as a, as a chef like rates uh, like the fixed costs of having a restaurant are incredible and um often we we don't know that uh, as customers and even as, as chefs you know when i remember me complaining about in the past about my um, my bosses you know oh my god my pay is really low but you know like to to run a restaurant you really need to get some flowing in terms of money because the costs are incredible and i don't have like full-time stuff at the moment because uh, you know we work with casuals most of the time uh, so i can't imagine like how much a restaurant has a lot of stuff as to 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 trade to, to to survive and and especially in, in these times of lockdown is unbelievable yeah um paolo i'd love to learn a little bit more about you know when you came to melbourne um what brought you here and uh was it Vudemont that you worked at initially yes yes so be, before coming to australia i was uh, living in singapore i was working uh at the marina bay sands and it was um i worked there for for a Fancy? Fancy, yeah. Uh, at the time, I was quite obsessed with, with fine dining and, you know, becoming like a, a Michelin star chef and blah, blah, and all this stuff. It was like uh, my kind of teenager dreams. And um, I worked in a, in a restaurant called Gisawa at the Marina Bay Sands. Then I worked for Mario Batali as well in the same complex. And then after, uh, I think a, a year or, or a year and a few months, I moved to Melbourne because I met someone that was telling me about this restaurant. I view them on, well, you need to check it out. And then my dream was to travel and work in like very good restaurants at the time. So I came to Melbourne, dropped off the airplane and with the luggages, I went straight away to view them on with the CV saying, I, wa- I want to work here. <laughs> and um yeah. They took you on. They took me on because they all, they were always looking for stuff, <laughs> and um, I started uh, at the bistro as a sous chef at the time. I was um, I worked there for like I think like six seven months, and then when the view moved up at Rialto Tower, I also uh, moved there with the team, and I spent another year and a half. Uh, which was still a great, great experience, you know, from the amount of things I've learned and the dedication and the attention, you know. Like there were ups and downs, of course, you know. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm always grateful for the learnings. So, yeah, it was a good experience. Was it there, you know, through that experience that you sort of let go of this Michelin ambition and started working in other kinds of restaurants? Mm. Yes, because um, what happened in the 
when I had my last holiday, Vudemont, I asked them to send me to stage in some restaurants around the world. So I spent my holidays researching and studying. So I, um, I went to Key in, in Sydney for a few weeks. And then I, um, I spent some time in, in Noma as well. And then I, the last stage was in Milan for uh, Pietro Lehmann it was uh, it, it is a restaurant called Joya it's a Michelin star restaurant that is fully vegetarian and for me it was oh my god the realization of a dream because uh, um, I always looked up uh, at them and then when I came back I was pretty exhausted and um, because I spent all this time working and traveling working and traveling and I realized that um, maybe I need a little bit of a change in my life and then I found this this little cafe called Kinfolk, which was, um, I think it's, they're closed now, like they just closed recently. And uh, it was like a non-for-profit cafe. And um, I never worked in a cafe before. And, you know, like having every night off and the weekend off was a big change. Um, and I thought like it would be just for a few months and then I would go back to, to fine dining or restaurant life. But then, you know, I, I get accustomed to the to the good lifestyle and training and running and you know started reading again and all the the good stuff. Uh, I started practicing yoga more often, which was uh, like a big part of my uh, last few years. Um, so yeah, then I ended up spending three three years at Kimfo getting my residency and then eventually citizenship. And then, um, yeah, that's so, it's so different. It's and it's so interesting that it was really that lifestyle aspect that um, drew you in. And it's almost like you had the time and you were awake enough that you could look up and see what else was around you in the world. It's really, it's really telling. Um, and yeah, Kinfolk in the city did recently close, but they are still going at their North Carlton operations sibling is still going and they're still doing their fantastic work as a social enterprise um feeding people they do and them you know they'll do events when events are back um it's a really fantastic uh socially minded organization that also uses a lot of volunteers so but i can just i, I mean you know i think Vudemon's amazing and i think kinfolk's amazing but it would be hard to find two more different businesses yeah. in, in melbourne <laughs> doing such with such different projects and such different customers as well yeah and you know danny when when i moved from Vudemon to kinfolk they still uh, had the old cafe so we didn't go through uh, the renovations yet so we were literally cooking uh, on two kitchen, um, you know, camping stoves. So the, the and a salamander. That was the equipment. <laughs> so I went from the because it, when we moved to Rialto, it was a brand new kitchen. Everything was induction, like super expensive. And all that. So I went from there to the the kitchen, which, which was shocking, but still, you know, like it was one of the best experiences actually uh, as a chef because um, for the Itos and I remember they sent me also to to Ghana when they still support like um, um, outside Australia projects. So, you know, seeing with my own eyes what our work was creating in terms of opportunities for people that uh, need help, it was like life-changing. Because uh, before it was, okay, I cook because there is a lot of ego in me and, you know, I want to be the best chef and blah, blah, blah. But then seeing the food can be used to do other stuff rather than just, you know, feeding um, people that are in the search for the ultimate flavor, but, you know, also can be applying in certain social uh, environment and uh, helping people. It was like just 
really life changing. Wow. It's, it's, um, I mean, I can really see a through line to the way your attitude to Rezo and, you know, all the challenges that you face. I mean, do you feel like you've really gained some perspective that is, gives you valuable tools as a new business owner? Yes. Yes. And I forgot to mention that also like before lockdown, I I went for a um, couple of years, this project called Chefs of Yoga. I don't know if you haven't heard. Yeah, I've seen a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me about Chefs of Yoga. Yeah, so after I left Udemon, like yoga became like quite a, a thing for me. Like I really found like uh, was helping me a lot. So from you know one day a week, it became two and three, and then uh, eventually became a daily practice. And then eventually I did my teacher training, uh, which was just to deepen my knowledge in the in the yoga world i wasn't planning to become a teacher or anything like that um but then i yeah, eventually i had this idea of start, starting spreading yoga amongst my, my uh, chef uh, fellows and friends uh, since it helped me so much uh, i thought maybe it can help also some other chefs and hospitality workers and uh, you know i started teaching like running some community classes for chefs and uh, and then and then eventually they moved into actually going into restaurants and and teach so we taught uh, i think for a, at least a year at amaru in armandale we uh, taught uh, loom um in in south south melbourne i think at kimfold we were running classes there so it was like a, a great initiative and then eventually uh, lockdown happened we did a little bit of a collaboration with the uh, Warsmith for um, running some li- live classes, and then uh, the thing faded away because I got so busy with with the restaurant. I haven't been practicing much yoga as well recently because uh, the restaurant takes a lot of time, energy, and effort. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience, and I hope you know some people got, got something out of it. What um, differences do you notice, whether it's with yourself or with chefs that you you helped um, teach yoga? Like, what differences do you notice that it brings to somebody's life or their their rhythm in a week? Mm, well, what what I was saying when I when I used to run the yoga classes, it, it was like always. It doesn't have to be yoga, you know, any form of activity that involves any kind of mindfulness or uh, any uh, anything that creates a sort of introspection in yourself. Because, you know, like chefs, we are always, uh, I, I say chef, but sorry for that, but I mean everyone in the hospital, front of house, anything. Um, I, I always say chef because I'm a chef. But when I say that, I mean uh, all of hospitality workers. We, always such in a like fast paced environment you know that um, is very very hard sometimes to take the time to see to see inside and uh, um, I, re- I think that when you don't have the time to look inside you really don't understand who you are and when you don't know who you are you you can take uh, proper decisions when it when it comes to everything in life i think you know getting to know each other to like a, a deeper level is very important uh, in the way um, we make decisions and we we live our lives so uh, because we live such an in a fast environment and also especially our work i think that's very hard to do um, so i always say to the guys you know if you don't like yoga maybe go for a run um, meditation was a big thing, you know, even just, I remember a lot of chefs when I, when I used to tell them, okay, just notice your breath, observe your breath. They used to 
to struggle, even just to close their eyes. It was so there was so much hesitance in, you know, and fear to just close your eyes and observe your breath. And it's such a simple thing, you know. Um, so it was quite interesting, and I think a lot of chefs get good things out of it. Mm. Do you think that's people are really trying to shield themselves from vulnerability, where they they just don't want to close their eyes and breathe? Yeah, yeah. Well, because I think also like you know sometimes um, chefing has always been related to uh, being fearless and not no scared no scared of the long hours and the pressure. So that creates this kind of shield, as it, as you were saying, which makes people um, be afraid of being vulnerable. But also, like, um, yeah, I think, like, being able to be vulnerable is actually, like, one of the biggest strengths that someone can acquire. You know, like, it takes a lot of strength and courage to be vulnerable and be open to others, you know. And and I think a lot of the mental health issues in our industry are, are because of that, because we are not used to share our problems uh, which is a bit hypocritical because we spend so much time with each other in the kitchen or in the front of house that we are almost like a family and uh, or especially a, a lot of workers like me that came from overseas their families uh, very far and the only people we can actually have the connection the kind of deep bond are the people in the kitchen or in the front and uh, if you can't be open with your family who are you going to be open with you know and it's so important to share our issues or when, when we feel stress or, you know, like we're struggling is, is very much a relief to let things go and, you know, be able to receive other people's health. Um, help, sorry. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so many people in hospitality and in society in general are struggling with the uncertainty of the situations that we're in at the moment. And of course, you know, it's it's everyone is in their own own story, but there are definitely commonalities. What kind of advice would you give to people who are really struggling with the uncertainty that we're living through at the moment? Well, what, what helped me a lot in on the first lockdown was to make a list of, of friends or people that um, you have a good connection with um, and just, you know, like each day call one of them and spend some time on the phone, like being keen to to listen rather than you know because sometimes listening to others is actually helping more than um you know letting all the the problems out um yeah so i think like talking with friends and creating the kind of connection it can be helpful yeah do a, do a little bit of activity as well um yeah and taking the time to do something for you for yourself i know i know it's hard um and, uh, yeah, especially if you live alone and uh, you're at home from work, you know, you don't know what to do. Like one of the of my chefs, actually, she's struggling a little bit in that sense. And, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel so guilty as a restaurant owner that I can't provide her enough time here in the restaurant. Uh, but, you know, I check on her almost daily, see how she's doing. Yeah. Mm, that's great. So, Paolo, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that people don't know what to do with vegetables, and I reckon that's very true. Um, but I love building meals around vegetables, but I'm going to throw you a, a puzzle. I'm going to let's – let's not do eggplant. Let's do a winter vegetable. What if I throw you a celeriac? What will I do with it? Or what will you do with it? <laughs> 
Well, so I have a celeriac dish on the menu at the moment. Uh, actually, is no a dish is uh, one of the uh, of the bar snacks. Uh, actually, it's in between the bar snacks and the entree size. Uh, we are making like this um, delicious um, broth. Uh, it's a roasted celeriac, uh, roasted apple, and um, and kale kind of broth. And um, what we do, we peel the celeriac and um, we roast the skins and the celeriacs. Uh, in cubes, like to 210 degrees in the oven, like dry, and uh, until it's kind of black. And we do the same with the with the apples, red red apples, um, and then we make like a, a nice sofrito with onions, carrots, celery. If we have um, any mushroom scraps, uh, we use them. Um, and parsnips, sorry, we use also a little bit of parsnips, a little bit of ginger, and then uh, we. You know, pour all the veggies in the pot, uh, cold water, bring to a simmer and simmer for like few hours, and then we clarify with the um, with the egg whites draft uh, as also fresh ginger and a little bit of soy sauce in it, and um, then we clarify through like the, the pro we bring to uh, 80 degrees so the the egg white cleans up the broth. We strain it, and then we serve it with some uh, fresh um, stinging nettle oil. And people are loving it. Like we serve it in a in a in a little mug as a as a welcoming snack or a, as a as an entree to warm up people. And as this beautiful, like sweet, appley um, celeriac with the uh, zinginess of the ginger. And uh, yeah, I love that dish. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that sounds absolutely delicious. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and we use always the, so we're trying to make it like a master stock. So we always keep a little bit of the old one and reuse it in the new one. So it keeps intensifying all the time. And uh, yeah, I, I love the dish. Yeah, I love broths and soups. Anything like that is, is warming. Like that. I love, love the kind of food like uh, nourishing and earthy. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, well, Paolo, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Um, I feel like we've really covered a lot. And, um, yeah, so it's I, who, <laughs> the person who asked me to speak to you, thank you so much for, um, <laughs> for yeah, leading me to this conversation. Um, do you have any final words for the listeners, Paolo? Um, well, I uh, just wanted to thank you for the opportunity of, you know, spreading um, my story and also um, to get – people to know Risa a little bit more and um, yeah just can't wait for the lockdown to finish and you know do what we like to do and, uh, and serve delicious food um, yeah so th thanks everyone and thanks to all the community here in, in Fitzroy that supported us um, recently with the takeaways that we did on, on last Saturday but also on the previous lockdown and thanks to you know all the friends and suppliers that keep helping us all the time you know we wouldn't be open if it wasn't for all the, all the community. So super grateful and super thankful for that. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Paolo. Take care and it's great to chat. Thanks, Andy. Ciao. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. 
Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.